Hey there, you're listening to Unlimited Hangout. I'm your host, Whitney Webb. Just a few days ago, President Trump and the co-leaders of the public-private COVID-19 vaccine effort known as Operation Warp Speed delivered a press conference to update the public on their efforts, particularly in light of the fact that the COVID-19 vaccine candidate produced by Pfizer is set to be approved under an emergency use authorization at the end of this month. Trump and the other speakers praised Pfizer as standing among one of the, quote, greatest companies anywhere in the world and repeated the claim that Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine candidate was 90% effective. However, those efficacy rates are self-reported results presented to the public by Pfizer itself, and they have yet to be subject to public scrutiny. But this hasn't kept mainstream media or government officials from uncritically repeating the claim as they have long promoted the vaccine as magically heralding the end of the coronavirus crisis. Meanwhile, we have officials in the U.S. like Dr. Anthony Fauci now openly claiming that the vaccine will not bring back any semblance of normalcy as mask wearing and social distancing are to remain necessary even if a majority of people choose to receive the vaccine. All of this, together with the fact that there has been so little interest among the media in asking any critical questions of Pfizer, a corporate behemoth with a lengthy list of horrific and even deadly scandals, gives more than enough cause for concern. To discuss this and more, I am joined today by Johnny Bedmore. Johnny is an independent investigative journalist and musician from Cardiff, Wales, whose work aims to expose the powerful people who are overlooked by other journalists. He is a contributor to Vocal Media and also to my site, Unlimited Hangout, where he will soon be publishing an investigation regarding Pfizer and its COVID-19 mRNA vaccine. So thanks for being here. Hi. Thanks for having me, Whitney. I'm happy to be here. It's very exciting. (laughs) Absolutely. So uh, what can you tell us about Pfizer as a company and why should we be concerned about their COVID-19 vaccine? Well, we're we're, um, stepping into the great beyond with this one, um, there's a lot of confusion with mRNA vaccines because lots of people um, are mixing them up, are mixing up DNA vaccines with mRNA vaccines, and they work slightly different. Well, very different when DNA vaccines actually um, alter your DNA, where an mRNA vaccine will alter a process that your DNA goes through. Um, so one of the processes along the way to create um, a protein messenger, that's what the M stands for in mRNA. It basically, it's um, uh, a RNA sends, is, is a, uh, something that the mRNA is something that sends messages to which proteins need to be produced for, uh, for the DNA. Now, DNA is quite small molecule, mRNA is quite a big molecule. So for mRNA to be able to do that process, it has to break in half, which it does naturally. And this is what, there's a lot of concern about people believing that, you know, that's a process that the vaccine causes, but in actual, it it breaks in half so it can fit through um, to send messengers messengers to get the the, um, right protein to come and be delivered. Now, the way it does that is that the DNA breaks in half down the middle, you could say, um, and goes through a very small gap. And on the other side, the mRNA then joins with that half-severed piece of DNA. Um, the complementary strands join up, and they allow for um, messenger, messages to be uh, sent for which protein to be produced. So that has to be understood right at the beginning. mRNA does not change your DNA. 
it changes a function of your DNA, a function that your DNA naturally goes through to increase proteins. But this is a new world. This is the beginning. This is mRNA is like the stepping stone towards a uh, much more major gene therapy. So we're entering into this what could be described as a brave new world because as soon as you're editing genes or doing anything editing the process of genes in this case so 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 you're not editing the genes themselves but you're editing something that the genes do at one pro process during the bodily's function um they that 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 uh is a massive change in the way medicine works um it is of course enters into the idea that if mrna vaccines work then the most positive case would be vaccines for cancer, um, vaccines for diabetes, vaccines for Alzheimer's or dementia eventually. You know, th th this is a technology that could be really big if it works. Well, you, you know we what, though, know is that the, te the technology has been around for, what, like a decade or so, and they've been trying to take one to market, and it's never been proven to work. It's never yeah, been shown never. to be effective. It's never been taken to market before. The, the interesting thing, the um, FDA have never approved any mRNA vaccination, and it's been about 15 years that mRNA and DNA vaccinations have been worked on really heavily. And I, I mean, the technology has amazing potential, but no one, no one, not anyone, I can tell you the process that um, MR, the basics of what the process of what mRNA vaccine does, or the process of what a DNA vaccine does, but no one knows what the long-term impact is going to be on people's health because we're not. We, I mean, this is this is messing with parts of our genetic code, in or, or in this case, the messages are uh, the messages that are genetic code sends to receive proteins and that is a massive step because that 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 is the first step into the world of transhumanism really yeah well it, what's interesting is that one of the leading bodies sort of uh, developing a lot of these transhumanist technologies the pentagon's uh, darpa uh, they're actually behind a lot of those vaccine technologies uh, whether it's dna well both dna and mnrna vaccines um, Inovio Pharmaceuticals, for example, their DNA uh, vaccine technology platform originally funded into existence thanks to DARPA and the same with Moderna's um, mRNA vaccine. And I believe I may be wrong, though, that Pfizer's uh, mRNA vaccine uses something quite similar to what Moderna uses now. Yes, yeah. Uh, Moderna and Pfizer were, I think they already knew right at the start that this was the time for them to push through a technology that had never been approved before and get human trials for it. Because they, they, so many companies have been researching it for such a long time that they have to push for it now. So this is yeah, this is a perfect opportunity for them to, to push that out. Uh, Moderna and Pfizer were the two, Moderna at the beginning of the year, was a leader in mRNA vaccine technology by far. There was no one else anywhere near them, but it was the acquisition of BioNTech by Pfizer that put Pfizer as at the front runner because that company, that small German company, well, you say it's a small German company, but that's only in comparison to a, a behemoth like uh, Pfizer or, or GlaxoSmithKline or Moderna. Um, it's actually quite a, 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 a small um, uh, very specific technological biotech company that that works for not just uh, it kind of like 
it picks its partnerships very closely. So in 2019, before uh, the pandemic hit, it was already working with Bayer. Um, it, it, uh, it was working with um, GlaxoSmithKline, I think, Ellie, um, Lilly, uh, and some other some other companies. They they were already having like these very specific partnerships with big companies, and they already had a partnership with Pfizer working on mRNA technology at a very low level. But once the pandemic hit out. Pfizer obviously realized, well, we need to get on top of the mRNA technology, otherwise Moderna will own the show. And so they went straight in for BioNTech um, and, and linked up with them very early on. And that was obviously, that, that, that's proven to be a winner, though even today, Moderna have announced that their vaccine was 95% effective rather than the 90 more self-reported results <laughs> yes yes indeed, indeed. um and and oh, it, this is it is definitely the competition between um these two uh, big mrna um uh, methods um by one by moderna and um one by uh, pfizer with BioNTech. um it's quite interesting pfizer first entered into the vaccine race probably about i think it was about 2006 they purchased a company called powder med um well and that wasn't an mrna vaccine company that was a dna vaccine company so you can already see the first um move that pfizer took into the vaccine market the very first moves um were looking at dna vaccines so they they know where they want to be eventually eventually they want the rights to change your dna eventually that's what's going to happen that's not what's happening now and the mainstream media and other people will use that misunderstanding that people have about what an mrna vaccine is and what a dna vaccine is literally to persecute people and prosecute persecute and prosecute people because they're actually trying to put through laws at the moment in britain Keir Starmer, i think he announced either yesterday or the day before um that they were going to look to uh legislating for people who say things like oh it's going to change your dna permanently you know fake news that's fake news well no it's it's a step towards that it's rather it's going to change a function of your DNA. And then later on, they're hoping to, to obviously go the full way because DNA vaccines is then, you know, do you want to be blonde? Do you want to have blue eyes? Do you want to see even more perfectly than you, you do? Do you want to live forever? Wow, wild. Well, you know, a lot of this that's going on um, <clears throat> right now in terms of targeting... Um, so-called anti-vaccine propaganda has really kicked into high gear to a, a large degree. I mean, I just published about this last week about how um, GCHQ and their partners in the Five Eyes Alliance um, have essentially declared what, what uh, the Sunday Times called cyber war against sites that they deem uh, produce, quote-unquote, anti-vaccine propaganda, which, of course, is a very slippery slope because a lot of people that have been accused of being anti-vaccine are actually just critics of, um, you know, a lot of these corporate, uh, large corporations that have never been held accountable for anything um, and have had, um, you know, a series of scandals and related to their vaccines. And of course, not being held accountable means that um, those problems are not rectified and that those abuses continue, right? So, you know, it's definitely a very slippery slope. But now a lot of these tools that GCHQ 
um, and, and some of these other, other groups are using were originally used to fight so-called uh, propaganda of ISIS or the Islamic <laughs> State online, and now they have turned it uh, onto anti-vaxxers. And at the same time, in, wow. in the UK specifically, uh, there's been a group of people that are actually connected to the counterterrorism task forces in the UK who have been trying to paint a prominent... Uh, critics of the big pharma, uh, like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and, and uh, Children's Health Defense and some other sites trying to paint them as national security threats, which is a very uh, disturbing pivot when you consider that these tools previously used for ISIS are now being turned on people who are critical of the vaccine industry. Yeah, and and you will find, um, and this is, this is a really, um, I've got a really good example for this now, um, you will find that the people involved in all of those will have links to both Pfizer and to the media quite heavily because that's who they use. So um, I think it was yesterday the BBC published um, an article uh, called Vaccine Rumors Debunked, Microchips Altered DNA and More. Um, and they, they first claim, oh, you know, this 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 crazy lady who's online and has some sort of like, you know, following. Um, she, she believes that Bill Gates is going to put a microchip in your arm if you have the vaccine scene and that's not true so that's one of the false ones and it doesn't alter dna claims it, it it's all lies but um if you actually look at the person that they talk to during the article from pfizer um you you get to a guy called what's his name andrew widger um, and Andrew Widger, who works for Pfizer as their senior director of global media relations and has done for eight years, was um, previously at the BBC as head of special projects and head of communications. So this is how they do it. They, they've already implanted six years ago, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, when, they, when they're thinking out these projects, they already are planting uh, BBC uh, journalists, with journalists, I, I say that with big quotation marks, massive, enormous comedy quotation marks. Um, <laughs> uh, they, they, they implant these journalists and these um, expert communications and special projects type of people within companies like Pfizer and etc., where they know that he's been there now for 14 years. So he's there at the front saying, oh, look, this is all lies. You know, this is all, this is, this is all fake news. Um, and the BBC lap it up and use him. Um, Pfizer's spokesperson, Andrew Widger, said the company vaccine do not alter the DNA sequence of the human body. It only presents the body with instructions to build immunity. But see, they very carefully word these things to say it doesn't alter the DNA sequence. No, it doesn't alter the DNA sequence because DNA splits in half at one point and then to, to require proteins, when it requires a certain protein, it splits in half like a strand of DNA it's so it can fit through a hole that it can't normally fit through. Because the messenger DNA, uh, the messenger RNA, it's so such a large molecule, which is why it's so unstable and needs to be uh, stored at really, really low temperatures, uh, that it can't fit through that hole to go and meet the DNA. That's why the DNA splits in half and joins with the mRNA. Now that process is what I personally am complaining about. I don't, I don't want, I don't want that that process happening inside me when you don't know what's going to happen in the, the long term. And of course, Pfizer is um, a company that has never taken accountability for its actions and for its past disasters, and they are big disasters. 
Uh, well, why don't you uh, expound on that a bit, if, uh, a, a bit, if you don't mind? Yeah. Well, um, I, I mean, the 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 problem the the problem with Pfizer um, is that they have they, they they seem to have they have a history. They they in 1996 they had a a really big um, disaster happen, which was of their own making. Um, in Nigeria, in a play in the northern Nigeria, um, in Kano State, in the, the main city, which is called Kano, um, and they there was a malaria outbreak there at the time, um, uh, along with other things, you know, TB, etc. But they used that as a cover to come in and and try their new drug that they were testing, um, experimental drug called Trovan, which, of course, because it's an experimental drug that they didn't really, you know, uh, hadn't been tried properly before. They said afterwards that they tried it on a, a certain amount of Americans, but probably in much lower doses and probably to adults because these um, Nigerian experiments were on children. They um, chose 200 children, many of them young, including, uh, like, I think about three, four years olds, etc., um, who had malaria, and they split the the 200 into two trial groups. One they gave Trovan, um, and the other they gave the the uh, equivalent at the time. I can't quite remember what the name of 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 the, I say the equivalent. It was the number one on the market. It had been proven to be better in trials than Trovan. It was already there. They already owned that, I believe. So they had no real reason for having this secondary product um it didn't make too much sense why they were trying to build it up when there was already a good enough version out there or the best version a better version out there um uh, but they they skewed the trials by giving the other hundred um a lower dosage of what the normal malaria um drug would, would that they would get so these parents were coming with their kids and the experimenters went to uh, exper- uh, the people the Pfizer people weren't weren't explain weren't explaining they were in a trial they had no idea um that their kids were part of the trial they thought they would just be getting the the uh, malaria medication that they would have got um in full dosage uh, that they were gonna, that hundred of the children were gonna get in the in the one sample group. Um, instead, um, it, after the court case, Pfizer accepted and admitted that five children had died from the one sample group, and six children had died from the other sample group because they weren't being given enough of the medication to to save them from malaria, um, or to protect them from malaria because they were low dosing it so that they could make Troven look better statistically um for for marketing purposes obviously um the big problem and the reason why they are even more culpable for this and how they did even more damage was um when they started the trials they were supposed to after five days take blood samples from uh the children now if they saw any abnormalities in um the in test results then they would switch over they were supposed to switch over the um the children to the full dose medication the normal malaria drug so that they could fight off any any potential long-lasting symptoms but they didn't bother doing those tests after five days 
they could have done those tests. It wasn't like the Nigerian uh, city of Kano didn't have the ability to do simple blood tests. They just waited until they saw irreversible symptoms coming out in the children before doing it. So instead of like bothering doing the tests they waited for children to become crippled um and and uh brain damaged uh scarred for life and unable to look after themselves um completely and then once they realized that they had been responsible for all of this murder and the crippling of children they got out of there really pretty quickly they didn't do any follow-up examinations they didn't do any care they just left left it like that um, tried to run away and pretend it just never happened. Uh, they didn't have uh, approval from any of the parents. They didn't have any written approval. Um, and it, it was only later that uh, Nigeria, and with the help of two uh, fantastic, I can't remember what their names are, fantastic independent um, lawyers. Well, I say independent lawyers but they, they, they basically they they worked on the case for the nigerian people um who were uh, who whose children had died um and some who had been affected um and uh it took 10 years to get a settlement for Pfizer, that settlement was 75 million, and each of the families of the the people um, would receive a, a, a 175 thousand dollars i believe it was uh, the lawyers were were um Etigu Uo, from Nigeria-based lawyer, and uh, Richard Ashlusha, who's a Connecticut-based lawyer. And um, the last one, the latter, the latter guy, he says that, uh, that John Lacar's The Constant Gardener was based on this um, Nigerian Kano state uh, affair. Of course, they swapped the place would be in Kenya and swapped the, the, the drugs from being a malaria drug to like a HIV drug or something along those lines in the story to distance it enough from Pfizer so they wouldn't get prosecuted. But Pfizer spent 10 years um, in court denying, 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 um, and trying to basically uh, avoid any um, accountability. They used smear um, tactics. Um, they used uh, lots of scare, scare tactics as well to try and put people who were um, uh, part of the case. They just did not want to... Uh, they did not. They, they're a company who systematically doesn't want to um, accept responsibility for their actions. Um, they ended up writing, issuing a statement in 2007 entitled "Like Trovan Cano State Civil Case Statement of Defense," um, and they, they said that you know oh, the mortality rate of the patients treated in Pfizer was um, host uh, historically lower than uh, any uh, African, or his meningitis epidemics, but meningitis, malaria, and TB was going on at the time, so I do apologize, it was a meningitis drug. Uh -uh. Um, uh, and no unusual side effects um, unrelated to meningitis were observed after four weeks. So their statement kind of said, well, they, it worked, it, it worked, it's fine. It, it, it helped them, even though they died and they were crippled and et cetera. Um, and they gave her the pittance at the end of, I mean, the 75 million is a pittance and 175,000 for each of the families affected was a pittance. But they put even another layer on top for those families to claim that $175,000. They put um, an obstacle in their way. They said, you have to let us DNA test you. 
so that we can prove that you're related to the deceased. And now that meant a lot of these African people um, in northern Nigeria were poor, they were uneducated, they didn't understand what DNA tests were, they didn't understand the process, they didn't understand why they needed them, and they thought that they were just trying to test on them experimental drugs on them so um some families pulled out of the the and didn't receive the settlement at all um so so yeah. they i know i know and and yeah, the, the reports like i say they took responsibility in court saying that uh, well took responsibility in court they 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 um accepted the payout included for the deaths of five children in from the one sample and six children from the other uh, sample group but um they, on on things like the Wikipedia page and and some Nigerian press, they say fifty children died out of the two hundred. They say it wasn't just the eleven; fifty children died, and the rest were crippled and brain damaged, etc. Well, this is really alarming to me because one of the justifications Pfizer allegedly used in justifying them cutting all all of these corners in, in this particular trial you're talking about was was speed. Uh, that speed was of, of the essence. And now we are in Operation Warp Speed, which skipped animal trials for their, you know, experimental vaccines yep. and, you know, has also cut lots of corners using speed as the justification. And last month, a lot of people have forgotten this because of the 90% effectiveness reporting. But it did mm -hmm. come out last month that Pfizer was recruiting and had already recruited several 12-year-olds uh, to participate in their vaccine trials. So they have are again testing on children, but this time in the United States, not in Nigeria. And it's worth pointing out that the FDA um, and this Nigeria scandal that you just went over um, had started to investigate Pfizer, but then mysteriously called off their investigation. And now uh, we are at a point in the U.S. where the emergency youth authorization for their vaccine is set to be issued by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration or the FDA. And one of the most prominent people involved in that process F at the FDA is the acting director of the Center uh, for Drug Evaluation and Research, uh, Patrizia Cavazzoni, I believe her name is. Mm -hmm. And she used to be uh, Pfizer's vice president for product safety, oddly enough. So I, I wanted to I wanted to get in uh, deep into Cavazzoni, and I thought, wow, what what a yeah, Patrizia Cavazzoni. She sounds like a beautiful, tall, wonderful, gorgeous woman who who walk in the place and and could convince you of anything. <laughs> and then I went and then I went and looked at what she was like, and she was like, I, I don't know, I say she sounds like she's probably from like northern Germany or somewhere. And she's like really softly spoken, and she's. <laughs> And and I said, like, oh, that's completely different from the name. That's, uh, but but she she I I didn't I I I have further investigations on other things that include um, those players. So I won't say too much about that at the moment. Well, I I'm will say though, um, since I did write a little bit about her uh, a bit ago, um, when she was Pfizer's vice president for product safety. Uh, she was involved in covering up uh, Pfizer's um, the tie of a Pfizer product, Zoloft, an antidepressant. Its ties to birth defects, um, which I believe resulted in a class action lawsuit being filed against Pfizer at one point for that. And during that uh, also rather protracted court case, um, Pfizer attempted to keep Cavazzoni from uh, testifying under oath about um zoloft and about its ties to birth defects suggesting that there was perhaps something to hide so it's quite 
disturbing, I would argue, that she is in a very prominent position where Pfizer is set, um, you know, is very much expecting to be just rushed through approval. Um, because, you know, last month they started already manufacturing hundreds of thousands of doses, which is not something you would do unless you are quite certain that your product mm-hmm. will be approved and soon be allowed to be sold on the market. Well, this is the thing about mRNA technology. And, and you know, while I'm, while I'm all for the idea of, of incre- uh, uh, putting good technology at use within medical care, and I'm all for the idea of a new technique if it works uh, as long as there's no negative side effects, it, this is quite a good technique. Because what it, it allows someone to do when they're creating a vaccine for it, they don't have to go through so many of the processes normally. All they have to do is know the um, uh, uh, genetic makeup of the virus or the thing that they're trying to attack. So they know what proteins are being targeted by that virus. And then they can um, make this, tailor make it as long as they have the um, uh, genetic information which was released of course by I, I think the the Chinese version of the CDC in January so there's already this um, uh, it's already ready to be implemented and made so quickly when it's using an mRNA method and that's part of the reason but that idea of speed and especially when I, I'm there's, there's a lot of things that, that you said that uh, little bits and bobs that I, I want to say about because um for instance, within the mainstream media, um, what they're saying at the moment is one of the falsehoods people around is saying that mRNA vaccines have never been tested on humans before. Um, and they, they, they get to say, oh, that's false, because these things go through a first phase trial and a second phase trial. So we're on a third phase trial. So it must have been tested before. And they know perfectly well that a lot of the beginning trials were skipped. They were skipped very quickly. Um, the, uh, nearly all of the vaccine trials went to the second stage with basically no problem. What, what, one of them, they like like all of the monkeys died or whatever. <laughs> they were all they were all very sick, and they were like, "Okay, next next phase." We yeah, phase. that's wild. You know, I know they 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 are they the fact that they've skipped these through, and then they'll use it later to say, "Oh well, no," because. What happens is that these things go through trials, so it has been tested on humans. And what you mean, the test that you're talking about, the phase three trial that you're talking about. So it's all right to try these on humans because we're doing it, is what the actual. Um, but some of these earlier is. stages, well, I know for Moderna, for example, they had their big uh, publicity blitz saying, our vaccine works. So it was a month or two ago. and But the sample size of that trial was eight people. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, I, I don't have to laugh <laughs> so loud there, but it's hard. It's hard not to. Uh, it's hard no, to I'm, I'm, I'm right things. there with you. Um, it, I, I, I just um uh, released an article on Vocal, the, the guys you, you mentioned not so long ago, which uh showed, <laughs> which studied someone who was doing um experiments on young girls who were went through forced abortion rape some terrible things in this care home um they were really vulnerable and they were being tested they they, they, someone was testing drugs on them drugs that have never been tested before um with links to the big boy GlaxoSmithKline and they were using a sample group of of 10 girls split into two so five on the one side five on the other and I don't 
I don't know what you could possibly learn from from that. It's 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 it, it, surely that there's someone should intervene and say, well, it's not worth the, the the risk and the ethical questions surrounding whether these trials are actually worth taking if the sample size isn't going to give us any information at the end of the experiment. So the, these low sample size is something that I've seen like I, I've re come across in my research before. Um, also talking about um, uh, Pfizer and the way it works. I mean, you you were talking about that 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 uh, lady Patricia. Um, she, she, she's she, they turn through problems. They don't they don't face problems. They they um, they make it look like they face problems when they have to, when it's right at the end. So for instance, um, th there was uh, a point where they were in a scandal with a drug, I think it was um, Maraviroc, um, it was called, and it was um, uh, it was what their scandal was. What the Marivox scandal was with Pfizer was um, they illegally pre-marketed the HIV drug. Um, I don't know quite what well, illegally pre-marketed, but they, 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 they it turned into a scandal. It was about two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. It turned into a scandal, and they were like, "Okay, we're going to get rid of some free. We're going to publicly fire three of our top executives." So they got rid of their like assistant sales manager, this woman Kelly Fitzgerald, and it, this is this, this is what I mean. She currently works at Pfizer uh, as the, the, the assistant sales director, I think now. Huh. So she, even though she was publicly fired in 2006, 2007, they leave a couple of years to die down because they don't give a, a damn about accountability. No, they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. And then now, now, now you look like you've been punished. Let's, uh, let's get you back. Let's get you back working. Wow. Well, that's quite telling about the culture of, of lack of accountability, and also what you mentioned about the the small sample sizes, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really want to compare directly. Pfizer to the CIA, but there was a CIA scientist back in the, I think the 60s and 70s, who's been written about by Doug Valentine, and I'm blanking <coughs> on his name a bit, but he was one of the people involved in sort of LSD experiments uh, for the CIA <laughs> to see what would happen, the but he would just, he, well, he would just, uh, in one case, he, just a random woman on the street with a baby in her arms, he dosed, and oh she had uh, quite a horrible time. I ended up committing suicide, I believe, a few years later as a result of, of that. So, you know, it's almost like some of these scientists, um, when when they know they will not be held accountable and, you know, um, are preying on vulnerable people, they, they seem to just not really care so much about the actual science of it in terms of like sample sizes or whatever, but just more yeah. of a, um, you know... I don't we've even gotta, know what to describe gotta, it. <laughs> well, well, I think we've got to accept that the mad scientist um, archetype exists and has existed throughout history. You know, they, 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 there are people who think that what they're trying to achieve is much more important than one or two people who get in the way. Um, so the, the guy I, I wrote about who was, had a sample size of, uh, of five on each, in each group of these vulnerable girls who all had different ailments and all had different issues were all like, um, some were schizophrenic and some were brain damaged and et cetera. Uh, he was doing that for prestige. You know, he was doing that so he could become um, famous in some way, shape or form. He thought he was on the right path. And so the, the ends justified the means. This is what these guys do. Oh, man. Well, uh, moving on a little bit, I wanted to ask um, 
about some things going on uh, in, in the UK right now as it relates to vaccines, because as far as Operation Warp Speed goes, at least at this point, it appears, uh, of course, this may change, that it's going to be left up in the US to different state governments, whether or not a vaccine becomes mandatory um, or if it is voluntary or whatever. But um, in the UK, uh, I understand that the Minister of Health, Matt Hancock, was speaking mm. recently and said that there will be, his words, um, hope injected into the arms of millions <laughs> uh, before Christmas, which I found quite an interesting use of words. We've gone from selling uh, people with deceptive political messaging in 2008 uh you know, with Obama, the hope and change. Now we've gone from deceiving people with hope to injecting them with it. Um, yeah. So I was wondering uh, exactly what the situation is with that sort of vaccination policy in, in the United Kingdom. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I, it's now, now Matt Hancock. Oh, Matt Hancock, ham face. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, 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 I've got to be a little bit. I, 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 he already, I know, I know he must hate me because anybody who, who, who uh, retweets one of my articles, like tags him into it, to it every single time. I like, guess <laughs> anybody who does, because I mean, he, he is, um, he is a Tory, the, the, the conservative party over here. And this is the dynamics over here is very interesting because we did have someone who could potentially have resisted such movements, which is, um, who was conveniently attacked under the fake guise of being an anti-Semite when it, it, he, his criticism was of, um, Israeli war crimes. Um, right. he was mm -hmm. Jeremy Corbyn, of course, who was, um, uh, a lifelong campaigner, um, for not only civil rights and um, against uh, uh, like anti-apartheid uh, movement, um, not against the anti-apartheid. He was part of the anti-apartheid movement. Um, he, he was always out there uh, seeking rights for pe people in the Jewish community, Muslim community. You know, he he, he fought against the Iraq War, etc. He, he said he should, you know he was one of the only lone voices who now like people look back on and go, oh, he was really right about that. Or, but it's not hard to be right about that. You know, there was, but there, it's very telling that there was only one or two people who were actually standing up against this, um, the, the, the war on terror, uh, malarkey.
Well, the, the dynamics in, in Britain are very interesting because they pushed out Jeremy Corbyn quite conveniently before, literally just before all this happened. I mean, he, he got um, ousted in the election that happened in December, um, which had, had been preceded by so much um, anti-Corbyn uh, rhetoric, etc. It was and extreme, course, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was uh, unbelievable. And, and listen, I, I, I hate the political system we have over here and I have hated it for a long time because it's obviously not fair, it's archaic, it's, it, it, it does not represent people. Uh, the House of Commons is not filled with common folk. The, you know, the, the original meanings of what our institutions, um, in, both in Britain and America, what they were meant to, to mean, nowadays it's just a sham and it's just right. terrible. So I, I didn't really want to have to support Jeremy Corbyn. I was so disenfranchised by about like uh, 2013, 2014, that, that, you know, any politician could, do anything good in this system i was so uh, away from that that it really was hard for me to accept jeremy corbyn in the first place because i was like he's just another one he's just another one he's just another one but then he he was just another one but in comparison to the other ones he was much better and and so he he would at least stand up for certain things however when he got into power as leader he didn't stand up for anything and he just just took attack after attack after yeah attack. about uh, a spine of wet cardboard sort of not unlike yeah. bernie sanders in the u.s yeah <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I know i know i i, I see that he, that is a he his advisors had advised him to not not react and to this new kind of nicer form of politics, but that's not going to work against the nasty people. They'll just destroy you if you do a nicer form of politics in that silly political system, which is nasty anyway. It's built on a nasty system. It's built on, um, you know, uh, like like um, a theatre, no, not theatre, you know, a pantomime. It's just, it's, it's all fake and silly. So there was nothing he was going to be able to do. It was depressing supporting Corbyn, um, but eventually it was like oh maybe this could be the change maybe this could be the change now they eventually got him out and they replaced him with someone called Keir Starmer now Keir Starmer used to be um he's a really interesting person to coincidentally be in power at this time because he used to be chief prosecutor um in uh the UK so I think he handled like CPS and stuff and decided which cases went through and which cases were dropped and etc um and he was someone who protected jimmy savile at the end of his life so when oh well yeah so when there was prosecutions being put forward to him about jimmy savile he was he was he was not interested he sounds a bit like uh kamala harris then in that sense who was sort of top cop in california prevented uh, the appeal of sirhan sirhan very very convenient uh, mm-hmm. that these people happen to be in office during this time when they want to change all of the laws. So these right. legal professionals who have been, because he was a barrister for years, a QC or, 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 or however, um, Queen's Council, um, complete. What, what interests me before as well is that I, I did an article on a woman who's like basically a paedophile enabler who defends people like um, Rolf Harris and stuff. Um, she's a, a barrister named Barbara Houston. She's an unbelievable woman. I did like um, <laughs> I went into her family history, like all the way back to the 1500s, and I went through each generation of her family to see uh, to see if the traits, like the 
the the traits that came out in her the completely a contrarian like over the top contrarian type of person she was came out in any other former uh genetic line and they did they did it's like every every um huh. uh, gen- generation was fighting against something really weird like it would be a, a protestant fighting on the side of the catholics um uh, after after the, the you know their their mum was dug up and hung <laughs> the dead body by papists just years before and and someone who just shot a, a maid for no reason why she was just putting stuff in the the, the kitchen and people who do uh, her father was terrible and awful etc um uh oh have i have i gone too far away ah. <laughs> Pia Starmer, Pia Starmer was, before um before the actual before he became uh, leader of the opposition um, uh, had Jeremy Corbyn even though we kind of all knew he was going to be him um, very early on he did uh, a lot of podcasts with her uh, with Barbara Houston and he seemed to always revolve in these circles which were, were the same circles as protecting pedophiles during the massive Jimmy Savile scandals and beyond so I mean he's a really interest and, and his focus has been on changing the law making legislation and uh, legis- pushing the government to, to introduce laws that are uh, of course, dystopian, like the idea that if you misunderstand and say something that you misunderstand, then you will be like criminally prosecuted for it. Because it's this is what one of the points of the article I'm writing at the moment. Oh, I've nearly finished. Is that um, mRNA and DNA vaccines are really easy to mix up. It's really easy for for people who don't know. And it's been a failure of all of these governments, all of these scientific advisors and all of these pharmaceutical companies. It's been a failure of them articulating how these vaccines work that causes a mistrust. It, you know, it, it's their inability to articulate it's a problem. Well, if not even just that, that though. I think it us. also has to do with the lack of transparency, right? So, like, in the U.S., Operation Warp Speed is ridiculously secretive, and it's run by the military, yeah. it's run by the Department of Homeland Security, and the NSA, right, who you wouldn't expect to be running the vaccine effort. You would expect <laughs> the Food and Drug Administration, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the civilian yeah. health agencies, or HHS to have the leadership role, but it's 90% dominated by the national security state. And they won't yeah. release very, like, hardly any information at all. And what they have released is incredibly redacted. So obviously that's not going to foster public trust, right? But if you don't yeah. trust them, you're you're a baddie, basically. <laughs> Yeah, is where we're yeah, at now. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, 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 I would expect that. I suppose if if I hadn't spent the past fair few years now researching these people, I would expect it to be handled by the CDC and other things. Um, but I'm not surprised they're being handled by uh, national um, intelligence community um, structure because oof, this is this is this is a takeover. The takeover is intelligence, um, intelligence people who are trying to control every aspect of our life in every different way um, through basically through lobbying, um, threats, uh, compromat and many other things. And we know we know what's happening. But the useful part of that, the useful part of that, um, uh, like, for instance, they're, they're, they're not being tackled by the right uh, the, the right agencies that you would expect that allows us to say to people, normal people on the street who have been calling people like us conspiracy theorists for years, look who's handling this. 
look who's look who's doing this this is not you know this is something that they can understand and they can relate to because they can see well that really should be health that really should be the cdc or that really should be um our equivalent over here um i'm not sure what our equivalent is sage oh we got we got two the, the thing about britain as well we've got a country which is always going to be divided the north and south of england are two completely different places with different genetics if you go back through uh, the actual like ethnicity of people um they, they, they are they are separate people and that comes out very much in their relationship the north and the south of england do not get on um through through stereotype anyway the stereotype of it but it is true in in many cases um that the northerners see the southerners are wet southerners and and the the southerners see the northerners as stupid northerners um and they treat each other like that in like their actions and then you've got scotland which is separate again and it's kind of separate government even though it's part of the united kingdom and i'm i'm in wales where we got the welsh assembly but it doesn't really have any powers and it has enough powers to ban books and sanitary towels during this <laughs> <laughs> but it, that, that's what it does it only uses the powers it can have and it's like well we can't do anything about tax so we may as well ban sanitary towels that would go on. <laughs> um, I, I mean and in Wales itself we got we then divide, I, I mean Wales is an exa a, a, a really interesting like example of uh, of where we're all separate tribes really west wales is different from south wales which is different from north wales which is borderline wales and which is different from north pembrokeshire they're all they're all from separate tribes separate ethnicities and we're very we're a very fractured country that's why we've never been we weren't able to hold off the annexation um by henry the eighth of uh <laughs> or, or, or was it the seventh? i think it was the eighth um uh, the annexation of wales we couldn't stop that because we were too divided we were always been a house divided because we're separate people we're like five Five tribes of Wales, really. Um, so the whole country is split. The whole country is um, teetering on uh, independence. Uh, it's been the first time ever that people have been talking about Welsh independence, um, apart from me and a couple other people. There, there's, there's been not. There's, it's been a joke before, and now it's being seen as a potential way to get away from all of these crazy rules um, in London. But what people are also starting to see now is that our rules are as crazy. If we get give the option to to our government to do it, they're going to ban books and sanitary towels. I mean, right? I've, I've heard crazy. something similar from from Scots, right? Who are like, well, we'd like independence, but Nicola Sturgeon is so insane. Yeah. That we don't really know if we want it if she's the one in charge. Precisely <laughs> so because because all of these uh, governors are, are beholden to um, the bigger the bigger entities. Like even if we're not in the EU, all our trade is with the EU. So much of our diplomacy is with the EU. So much of our science research is with the EU that we are still beholden to them. Um, we are still like connected and linked to them, and we won't get away with it. We, we, uh, the Scottish people, I mean, they don't take crap from anybody. Uh, they are some of the toughest folk around. The, the people who are represented by Scotland on the BBC and the news are not Scottish people. I, I will, I will say that quite openly. Even though they they sound Scottish, they're from Scotland, etc. 
they're all people who are like they see it as a caste system they see themselves as better than normal scots because the scottish people are a really fantastically i mean they don't take crap they really don't so uh, they have a history of that they have a history of fighting and beating much bigger armies and much bigger enemies and having no fear at all and when i talk to scottish people i work with a, a scottish lady um a, a woman who will never listen to this but i'll give her a shout out lorraine oh she's wonderful uh, she, she's a perfect example of scottishness she's like a small strong woman who is so super tough and will say it as it is so i can't see that last in places like scotland and this is a, the problem the more they put in um place their authoritarian rules the more it breaks down in one section of our society in britain and not another and the more they don't listen in we've got different rules all around the country now we've got different rules all around the country so i mean it's it's not workable um people are really getting fed up of it and to be perfectly honest a lot of people i see in, in wales and scotland and northern ireland especially i would assume because england's a very different entity um a very different type of like people there um they 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 they're, they're henpecked <laughs> they're, they're <laughs> under the thumb uh, very much more by westminster than we are because of course we see ourselves as different countries um wales is a separate country even though it's classed as a principality where prince charles uh, prince of the pedophile sorry um uh, but, but prince charles is the one who's uh who's who's supposed to be our representative like balls he's as he's he's as as welsh as as the next uh englishman who doesn't understand really our country and our people and there's a lot of division in this country and it will keep going that way over the next 10 years we will see fights for independence for scotland and independence for wales and probably reunification of ireland and northern ireland and um and this is all down to the fact that the westminster has been has been running us badly for the entirety of our histories well something i wanted to touch on that you sort of mentioned a little bit earlier was sort of the lumping together of the the intelligence driven technocratic push and and healthcare right and i know that you mm -hmm. have written well i've been writing about it on the us side but you've written quite a bit about it on the uk side of things um, would 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 you be uh, able to sort of uh, give a little summary yeah. of that if you wish? Well, well, I, I, I the, the one problem is if I mention uh, one woman's name, NJ. If I mention her name out loud, then there will be uh, court action within a week and a half to two weeks in mainland Europe to take this down, and they will use every 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 dirty sinister trick in the book. Um, but. They're basically, there's a lot of entities who are connected with, um, and you can find my work at johnnyfedmore.com or, or you can find my, my, my work about openly on other places. I'm not hiding what her name is and just every single time I've talked about her, apart from one, has been deleted from the internet so far. So I, I, I don't like to have... Uh, podcast deleted so quickly even though it may it, it, <laughs> it may be censored due to the fact it's about the most sensitive subject which is the vaccines i mean that's the most sensitive but basically there's a lot of entities connected to um different intelligence uh, communities um heavily israeli involved there's a lot of israeli uh unit 8200 people um and people who are connected to them people who are connected to the council uh european council on foreign relations um people who are connected to the mi5 etc who are all entering in or have entered in uh within the past 
eight five, five to eight years i'd say um into the uh medical technological medical world um People like Daniel Korsky, who was um, the head of the Health Tech Advisory, or at least set up the Health Tech Advisory Board with Matt Hancock, the uh, uh, Minister for Health, or Secretary for, uh, for Health. It's hard because I, I do, I do, I, I do, you know, both research in America and Britain, and sometimes I can never remember the titles. Um, well, there's a lot of titles and a lot of acronyms, and it, yeah. it can get intense after a while. I, I feel your pain. It does. These these people are basically working to um, completely and utterly dominate uh, the coming technological revolution that's going to happen in healthcare and medicine that we see happening in front of us in very real time, especially with an example right. like the mRNA vaccine. This is the step towards this new future. Um, what was really interesting is, is uh, there is um, a lot of similar similarities uh, uh, between. Um, medical treatments and the evolution of medical treatments at the moment, that kind of like smell of transhumanism alongside AI happening at the same time, that of course smells of transhumanism in a different way. One's a biological transhumanism and one's like a, 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 a cyber transhumanism um, or a, a technological a transhumanism. Now they, these two groups have met and coalesced and married in the middle. All of these people are linked in with each other. They're all one step away from all of the, the actors that we see um, working very hard, uh, people from Trudeau and Macron and people like that, uh, to change the world of medicine in their image. But really, if you look at it, it's... Um, it's the intelligence community who are on the forefront of occupying mm -hmm. all of these positions of power. This is, I, 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 there will be a story I'm writing at the moment that is, is very complicated, very major research, um, because they are creating that infrastructure now to keep us uh, tied down and keep us uh, suppressed, uh, keep us in our sub uh, subjugated situations. Um, and to make it worse, there's, there's uh, people like Peter Thiel and Palantir, of course, as you've talked about, um, programs like that are an infrastructure that's being created so that one day that they can get rid of the accountability of government. These things, um, these uh, technocrats or because it's a technopoly rather than it's a technocracy. You know, these people are um, all linked with big companies who all got big money. They're all mm -hmm. working for certain entities. It's all about money, 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 money. It's also about power, 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 power. Um, they're all trying to create something that means that they have the infrastructure that when, the, if government was to be pulled away, they would be in control. So it's like creating the complete network of control underneath. Now, the best way to do that is be in charge of medicine, to be in charge of the future tech, which will be um, in every part of our life, um, and have the ability to uh, train AI or ask their AI to um, watch everybody, to see everybody. 
um, to encourage the public to start putting wristbands on so that they can monitor their health from a distance and they don't have to worry about it anymore. Someone else will be doing that for them. But that comes along with loads of other things. Well, as well. that, uh, oddly enough, is not that far away, um, at least for the U.S., because as I wrote about... Um, Oh, probably a few weeks ago. Um, Operation Warp Speed, one of the least reported facets about it, but one that's openly admitted by the head of that whole operation, Monsef Salawi, is that everyone that gets the vaccine, they haven't said how yet, but if you look at the people involved in Warp Speed, there are some ideas, but they say that there will be a very precise surveillance system. He sometimes calls it a tracking system. <laughs> sometimes he calls yeah. it a pharmacovigilance system that will be used wow. to monitor... Uh, everyone that gets the initial dose of the vaccine to make sure they come back for the second dose because Pfizer's vaccine, as well as a lot of the other vaccine candidates are multi-dose vaccines, but not only that, mm -hmm. but to monitor those people for adverse side effects to the vaccine after it's already been injected into people, which is really quite nuts. Um, so basically, you know, the people that are getting the vaccine or will receive the vaccine will be guinea pigs themselves, really, um, and are going to be monitored to see what would happen. And it's most likely that it will either be through this thing called Profusa that was developed by DARPA, um, that uh, the was actually developed under uh, a program former DARPA program manager named Matt Hepburn, who is actually now the go-to vaccine coordinator for mm -hmm. uh, Operation Warp Speed. And he is uh, definitely that mad scientist archetype. That would be him. I would recommend people go and watch his TED Talks. Uh, they're very unsettling. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> But in addition, one of the uh, the main con uh, co sort of uh, third-party entities involved in Operation Warp Speed called ATI, or Advanced Technology International, at the same time they were issuing uh, the contracts to vaccine companies on behalf of Warp Speed, they were also um, soliciting um, bids to create a wearable that would detect uh, a lot of these same things and things like that. So it's very possible that what was once... A fitness, a voluntary fitness device may not be so voluntary for this um, "quote unquote" extremely precise, as Mansaf Salawi calls it, uh, pharmacovigilance surveillance system that uh, people that receive the Operation Warp Speed vaccine will be um, apparently subjected to to make sure they're not naughty and and miss that second dose and and whatever yeah. happens next, right? That that pharmacovigilance, that's a beautiful term. That's uh, as that that's I'm sure that came well, straight out of the boardrooms of McKinsey. Yeah, <laughs> places yeah like well, that. I don't know, that came straight out of the, the, the desk of, of George Orwell himself. I mean that's it's such a fantastic way to they, they manipulate language nowadays. They create all sorts of terms that that, that really just mean different forms well what's even nuttier power. right is that the company is managing that for warp speed it's not the government that manages that it's going to be google and it's going to be oracle <laughs> both of those companies have very deep ties well oracle's case they have very close ties to israeli intelligence but also the cia and then google of course has very close ties to the entire u.s national security state and was originally funded by inqtel and eric schmidt of course the former ceo intimately involved in ai policy for the national security state of the u.s so quite nuts. Well, I, I think you'll 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 see um, them start to, and you you've you're already seeing them start to utilize uh, excuses that will mean that the army can be involved. So to make this track and tracing process much more efficient and professional and make it military. So this idea that um, 
the Moderna virus, uh, the Moderna virus, sorry, the Moderna vaccine. <laughs> Woo, slip up. Oh, <laughs> no, it's, um, it's all right. <laughs> the, the, the Moderna, the Moderna vaccine. Well, um, that that needs to be stored at minus twenty degrees, and the, the um, Pfizer vaccine needs to be stored at minus seventy degrees. So, in talking about that, they've also talked about the military being involved in distribution to make sure that mm-hmm. uh, everything is kept at certain temperatures, etc. Um, but that I see as a, set, a setting up of having specialist supervisors uh, put this sort of technology into action, this track and trace technology, which is because I, I mean, when I wrote the Daniel Korsky article and was looking looking at his Panopticon technology, that's really what that was about. The, 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 they had a guy um, from the alcohol systems um, detection systems, I, I guess, them, where they, they've had the, the tag that goes around drinkers' legs for ages that can tell if they've had a drink. You know, they, they, they test for chemical reactions um, that, that drink has that comes out in the sweat. Um, and I think that's what we're looking at in the future. I think we're looking at no one needing to go to have a COVID-19 test because they'll conveniently say, oh, you've got COVID-19 because your, your little band tells yeah. you you've got COVID-19. Mm-hmm. They're already so developing that. The military is in the yeah. U.S. anyway mm-hmm, for several well, months now. That, mm-hmm. that, that's that's why what I think I think under underground, hidden away, there's a race to these other technologies that are going alongside. In the sense, they're evangelist technologies. They're, they're they're people who have to get companies to create parts of them before they can actually make their vision come true. So they they need the software, they need the, the things built, and they need so so they're going through that process behind the scenes right now. In my opinion, um, to create something that's like that and there's a race on for the the wearable that will will do everything um and i think i i, I personally and this is only my personal opinion i think that's what panopticon technology was set up to do um uh was to uh, try and 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 find how to mix in uh this cyber security wearable technology dystopian future <laughs> the, the internet of things generation and put them all into one thing so that they can have they can have you they can press a button and hear you whenever they want to yeah, I, 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 I don't want to be um, too far fetched with well with I don't think you you are at all I mean um, I, know, I don't I know, know if you've know, heard uh, oh sorry go ahead I, I was just going to say it sounds far fetched I, I mean it sounds naturally to us when we hear things like that um we, we think of, of we, we then think of the ridicule that, that Kellyanne Conway or Donald Trump would have got when they said oh eventually your microwave will be able to to listen to you <laughs> um well eventually your microwave will be able to listen to you and it's really really is well the former CIA director David Petraeus is is known in the US for saying that that they'll use your uh, kitchen appliances to spy on you he said this several years ago and people were like and everyone forgot and here it is now <laughs> yeah because the internet uh, of things this this thing is is um, it's a prison it's a, it's um, a digital prison it's, it wouldn't be 
if it was made by normal people and it was if it was designed to help humanity and people in general in general population um general people working every day if if the internet of things was put into place to help these people it would be a wonderful technology but they've seen that if they set it up themselves the intelligence agencies themselves will have full control of every single appliance <laughs> that's i mean that's well well the alarms me now is that they're not just talking about the internet of things there's this new bit that they're throwing around called the internet of bodies uh no, which has yeah. to do with the whole wearable bit and and everything uh related to that and i i wanted to bring this up earlier when you were talking about um the surveillance capabilities of these things amazon uh is probably a latecomer to the whole fitness wearable market uh theirs right. recently came out a, um, a month or two ago um, I, I forget exactly what it's called, but basically um, it has two microphones and one of the ones that uh, listens to you, it doesn't only just like, you know, it, it does a lot of creepy things. It makes like a 3D model of your body uh, in your underwear <laughs> and all of this oh, stuff, nice. you know, to, nice. to motivate you to be fit, I suppose. But um, what it also does is that it listens to your voice and picks up on your emotions and notes mm -hmm. at what times during the day you sound sad or depressed and when you sound happy and whatever. And, you know, uh, it's very interesting that for, uh, right before this, Amazon bought up some sort of online pharmacy uh, company. And so, you know, I, it definitely it, seems it, like yeah. the future of, oh, you sound sad today. Here are some antidepressants Amazon is here, sending yeah. to you in the mail. Here, you know, that type of here's future. Here's a little bit of Soma. Here's a little bit of Soma. Yeah. Like, we'll inject just a little bit of, oh, that's a boost. Inject a I little bit of hope, as, as Matt Hancock is, has been saying. Yeah, thank you, Matt Hancock. <laughs> thank you for injecting that happiness into my arm. <laughs> I mean, that idea of, oh, of, of injecting happiness into people, I, that's so far removed from the the, the childhood I got brought up where intravenous injections are like uh, the the last state of affairs, like in most things. Like if someone's injecting something into you, you're in trouble. Yes, well, now it's a it's forcible hope injections. Uh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but this is what I was going to say. That's something else I was going to say. Is that um, Matt Hancock is is like a he enjoys gaslighting people. When he says these things, he puts on his very straight face where he doesn't move his lips at all. Oh, but you can kind of tell he likes to gaslight, though. I think you're yeah, right about yeah. that. He loves, it. He, he loves it. He loves it because he knows that if he works to the stereotypes, it increases uh, of a cons uh, like a conspiracy happening or of this, this sort of like, you know, uh, lackadaisical approach. I don't know what you, you'd call it, but the use of his terminology and et cetera. Well, that's, he, he's laughing at, at us. <laughs> he's laughing at us and he's laughing at us quite hard because he knows that whatever happens it'll be fine for him or he is making uh, enough money from all of this i think he's got investments in in some of this stuff too um all of the people involved in making the decisions have got some sort of investment. oh yeah Monsef uh, Salawi, the head of WorkSpeed, was allowed to keep and make new investments in, in pharmaceutical yeah. and bioelectronic medicine companies and all of this stuff, why, why this year's been going on, which is quite uh, scandalous, Pat normally would not happen. <laughs> Patrick Valance, who's a head scientific advisor over in the UK, he has like, I think it's hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of, uh, of GlaxoSmithKline shares for his time when he was in GlaxoSmithKline. So I, they're, 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 all, they're all still able to benefit and then look at you and say, oh no, we're independent. I don't, I, I don't understand how is not heads rolling. I, I, I know that's, I, I'm not 
suggesting that people do that because I don't think the guillotine's the answer to anything. Well, not everything, but the guillotine isn't the answer <laughs> to most things. <laughs> um, but 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 you know, is that I, I can't believe that people haven't risen up and and it's true when well, you know when they say things like in in our countries they're saying you're not allowed to sleep with your partner and you should wear masks in bed. Um, I, I I I can't believe that people haven't pulled ma- or the, the the glory <laughs> call suggestion uh for, for intercourse <laughs> yeah well i think I've, some health authority said that in the west i can't remember if it was a u.s person or a uk person or where it was but it was I'm, quite I'm nuts. sorry i don't know what a glory hole is <laughs> <laughs> okay well i'll i'll no, leave no, you to no, your i'm already joking oh, okay <laughs> all right whoops okay well maybe that's a good time to uh <laughs> Uh, to, to, to end the episode because um, we okay. have covered a lot <laughs> uh, we have covered a lot of ground I, I suppose and we are at the usual time for, for ending these things so thank you so much for being here to talk about Pfizer and UK politics and the growing uh, public health panopticon uh, thank so, you for having me I'm, uh, I, it's a wonderful wonderful experience to be on your podcast thank you uh, well you're very welcome and thank you all uh, to all our listeners and catch you next time